If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today we are going to be talking about executive assistance with Jeremy Burroughs. Listeners, before we introduce Jeremy, let me just remind you that 2021 is the year that we are launching tons of webinars. We are doing almost a webinar a month on everything from strategic planning to board recruitment to board development and more. So make sure you go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and just check out the free webinars that we're offering this year. And now I am so excited to start this introduction of Jeremy Burroughs. And the reason I wanted us to talk about executive assistance is because in my coaching work with nonprofit chief executives, so often an executive will say to me, Dolph, I'm just, I'm burning the candle at both ends and in the middle, and I can't seem to get it all done, and I always seem behind, and I'm not meeting some of the core critical deadlines that I'm, I'm expecting of myself and others are expecting of me. And, you know, typically we'll talk about time management some, But oftentimes, no matter how good their time management is, they can't actually do everything that they're trying to get done. And that's the point that I'll often ask them, we know, have you thought about an executive assistant? And in the nonprofit sector, very few of us have ever had an executive assistant. And so I've actually had a lot of chief executives who will say to me, you know, I'm best at doing my own email. I'm best at keeping my own calendar. And normally when I hear that, I say, well, you know, if you really love to keep your own calendar, you could probably still do that. But there are some other things that an executive assistant could help you with. And we'd kind of start to walk through that. And that's why I asked Jeremy Burroughs to join us today, because he has turned executive assistant into an art form. He has written the book, The Leader Assistant. And he also, by the way, has a podcast by the same name. And what he does is he helps assistants become confident, game changers within their organization, actual leaders who are supporting other leaders in the organization. And he also helps executives hire, equip, 
and empower leader assistants. And that's why I was so excited to be able to have Jeremy come on to this podcast. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. Howdy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hey, I am thrilled you're here. I just need to give you a quick disclaimer. I think you know we batch core the podcast. We do six in a day. And so this is the last one of the day. It is 613 where I am, and this is when I let it all hang out. So everybody gets the real unvarnished me. So either um, you're welcome or I apologize. I don't know which it's going to be tonight. It sounds good. I'm, I'm ready. So talk to me a little bit. And, and I know before we hit record, you and I were talking about this, that an executive assistant's role is often not that different, whether it's in a nonprofit or a for-profit of about the same size. What can an executive assistant do for a nonprofit executive? Yeah, I mean, I think that most executives, nonprofit or for-profit anywhere, have an entrepreneurial mindset. They have, they're always about the vision. They're always about strategy. They're always about uh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do in three years? Where are we going to be? They're looking at things at a you know thirty thousand foot level, and yet you you know as you mentioned some some executives are hesitant to really hand things off to someone like an executive assistant. A lot of people have this have this stereotype of an assistant just schedules meetings and does my expense report and that's it. And I can do meeting, I can schedule my own meetings because we have all these automated tools like Calendly and, you know, I can set up meeting slots in my Google calendar. I don't need somebody to do that for me or expense reports. Well, I've got Concur or I've got some other tool that's automated that I can do all my expense reports myself too. Why should I spend money on an assistant? And I think that what I'm trying to do is help executives see that the time that they're spending, even if it is managing an automated calendar program, or if it is, you know, even um, sorting through a few expense reports, even if it takes half the time as it used to take, the time they're spending doing that is, is wasted time. And, and so that's one side. The other side is an executive assistant actually can do a lot more and they can actually be a strategic partner in your business and in your nonprofit. So a quick example would be, you know, when, you know, at my last organization, a nonprofit, uh, when we were raising money and trying to do fundraisers and, you know, maybe a building campaign or, or whatever it was, who do you think was the one that, kind of ran the the donor CRM, you know, it was me. Uh, who do you think was the one that made sure that we followed up with donors after having dinners with them? That was me. Who, do you, who wrote the emails, drafted the emails that were personal and, you know, thoughtful to these, you know, high net worth donors? You know, that was me. So there's a lot more than an EA can do. And there's also, you know, when you're talking with, with being a good steward of the money that a nonprofit has, the limited resources they have, um, you shouldn't be paying your top dog to uh, book meetings and send a bunch of emails. Right, right. And it's interesting so often because, like you said, I often will have chief executives say, oh, well, I'd rather book my own meetings or I'd rather do my own expense report. 
And especially on things like expense report, it's not just the time it takes, it's the attention, it's the bandwidth, it's one more thing on your list. And, you know, part of this, and this is true for all of us, but sometimes we would almost just rather do those daily things like, oh, I'm going to do my expense report instead of call that donor. And if that excuse is taken away, now I got to call that donor. Right. And I think that uh, you kind of hit it on the head. Executives often are managing projects that can take months or years even to complete. And some, some managers, some executives, they're kind of micromanagers and they like to feel that sense of accomplishment. They like that quick hit of, oh, I, I checked something off the list. I actually, you know, saw a task to its completion today. And that task could have been, oh, I scheduled a meeting. So I feel like I was productive today. Um, sometimes they just they just hold on to those things because they feel like their ultimate goal and their and their biggest priorities are going to take forever to to be done. And so they want to do little things so that they can feel like a productive human. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing, and back when I was the chief executive uh, of a nonprofit housing organization, I had an executive assistant. And there were so many ways that she helped leverage my time and helped me do so much more. And a couple of examples that are kind of personal, but really just critically important. One is as I was thinking about ways to say thank you to staff members and board members, and also kind of get this sense of esprit de corps and camaraderie, you know, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if every year we had a new branded item and everyone who was on the board or staff got that branded item? Maybe it's a water bottle one time, a jacket another time, a backpack or something like that a third time. And so I actually was able to kind of go to my executive assistant and say, you know, I would I would love for us to do this, but I don't have the bandwidth to go to a branding company's website and request 25 items and see what they look like and, you know, do all of that. And so I was kind of like, can you start that project for me? And oh my gosh, like I'll share with you, literally, that's kind of what she did. She ended up getting like 25 items from lots of different um, branding companies. And then she came back with a recommendation. She's like, oh, I really like this. Here's why I like this. And I really like that. And, you know, so she kind of brought her top three and boom, suddenly we had a program that went from year to year. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why you can't leverage an assistant to do those types of projects and help you scale what you want to do, like really help you scale your vision. Um, it's not just execute your vision, but it's actually scale it and, and, um, expand, expand your vision. Mm-hmm. So are there some other ways that you've seen organizations effectively use executive assistance? Yeah, I mean, I think whenever I see organizations involve the EAs in board meetings, involve the EAs in the event planning, even involving them in the leadership team meetings uh, where you're really talking about the mission and the values and the kind of go forward statements for the organization, involving the EAs and and getting their feedback uh, and giving them a seat at the table is huge because they have such a unique perspective on the executive and the board members and the team, but also just the organization overall, that you really would be doing a disservice to yourself if you didn't ask their opinion, if you didn't get their input. 
and have them at the table. So I think that the way I like to see it is what are your top three goals, period executive? What are your top three goals? And your executive assistance goals at a you know high level are basically the same. So I'll share an example. My current executive, he has kind of three or four goals, a, a few of them basically. The, the main ones are he wants to stay healthy, he wants to stay married, and he wants to stay in business. And that's like, those are the kind of to simplify everything down to those three things. So what are my goals as his executive assistant? Help him stay healthy. Uh, and that could mean putting focus blocks on his calendar, making sure that he has his workouts, um, time for workouts, making sure that he has time to eat a healthy lunch, all those kinds of things. And then, you know, stay married, make sure I'm connecting with his spouse and saying, hey, you know, he's got this meeting coming up. It's going to go a little bit late this evening. Is that going to conflict with any family plans? Because he has four kids. Always being in sync and making sure that I'm not doing something on his calendar that's going to cause stress in the in the home. And then staying in business. You know, like we're a startup. We're four years old. We, um, we've grown a lot uh, since day one. I was hired number one. And, you know, we had like six people day one. And now we have 65 or something like that. It's fast paced, it's high risk, you know, like we have a certain amount of cash, we have a certain amount of revenue, we gotta grow the revenue before we run out of cash, or we gotta raise more money, you know, all that fun stuff. And so the staying, staying in business goal for my executive is also top of mind for me. And everything that I do has to fall in those three buckets. And if they don't, then I'm not doing my job. So I love how crisp and clear and succinct his three goals are stay healthy, stay married, stay in business. Did the two of you sit down and he just kind of laid that out or, or how did you learn about those three goals? Yeah, great question. We, um, we meet regularly, um, one-on-one, once a week at least. And we always have a little bit of that time to talk about kind of what's top of his mind. And so we're always, it's an open conversation ongoing. So it's never like, a, oh, let's wait until the annual performance review and then let's just talk about everything there. No, we, all, we talk about it all the time. And so he kind of jokingly put things in those three simple categories one day. And I was like, oh, that's actually, and he was like, that's really what it's about. And that's what I'm trying to do. And, and then me as his executive and personal assistant, like that's what I'm trying to do, help him with. So so yeah, I think it's just more about continu- continued open dialogue uh, between the assistant and the executive so that there's no surprises come uh, annual review time. And so if some of our listeners are now hearing this and thinking, huh, I never really thought I wanted an executive assistant, but maybe I should be considering it. In what situation should they be thinking about a virtual assistant? And in what situation should they be thinking about a W-2, you know, in place, right there in your workplace assistant? Yeah, I mean, I think that most, especially nonprofit executives, I would say most of you listening should probably consider a virtual assistant first. Part-time, maybe 10 to 20 hours a week. There's a few good virtual assistant firms out there like Belay Solutions and I think 33 Vincent is another one. Athena Executive Services is another one. So 
there are some solid, you know, American-based VA teams and you know, or virtual executive assist, assistant teams. I think for most uh, most of you listening, it's probably best to start with a part-time virtual assistant. That said, if you have a nonprofit or an organization that's really, really physical-based, like maybe it's a you know maybe you're maybe you run a YMCA you know, in town and you're always at the, at the different gyms and whatever. And okay, well then you should probably consider more of a full-time on-site assistant. But generally speaking, I think uh, you can get a lot done with a virtual assistant and it's, and it's less risky of a jump to get going. And then you can always, I mean, I've, I've heard story after story of uh, an executive hiring a VA and then they're part-time. And then after six, 12 months, they're like, let's, let's just grow this to full time and, you know, go from there. So. And so Jeremy, I know one of the things you also specialize in is you help executives hire, equip and empower executive assistants. So, you know, let's say now a listener says, yes, I'm ready to move forward. How do they, how do they hire the right executive assistant? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing you got to do is you've got to do an audit of your time and an audit of the work that you do. And so, you know, look back at the last three to six months on your calendar and put the tasks and the projects that you worked on into a few different buckets. And then after you kind of have more of a theme bucket kind of organization of of where you spent your time, then break that down into, okay, what what do you have to do yourself. Mm-hmm. And then what, what needs to be done, but you don't necessarily have to do it yourself. So those, then you can split those into those two categories. And then when you have a list of things that need to get done, but you don't have to do them yourself, which is, a, a, which is a lot larger than most people think. Um, but we think that we have to do everything ourselves. So, uh, once you have that list, then you can actually convert that essentially into a job description um, and then look at how many hours you think that might take. And, um, and I would, I would also encourage you don't be cheap because you could hire a virtual assistant for $10 an hour, you know, overseas and that, you know, 30 hours a week, whatever. Um, and you're going to have a lot of, a lot of issues. I won't go into too many details, but you're just going to, it's just going to be a headache versus in your think, oh, I'm saving money. I'm getting 30 hours for $10 an hour. This is great. Well, you could pay a specialist, an experienced, you know, top-notch virtual executive assistant, you know, 40 bucks an hour, and they could do twice as much as, as the other assistant in a third of the time. You know, you don't have to worry about teaching them a bunch of stuff because they're experienced. So yeah, just don't, don't, don't be cheap when it comes to that. And, and if you find somebody that their rates are really cheap, that's usually a bad sign. And, and I will also just say in general, and I don't, and I feel this way, not just about executive assistants, but for every staff position, everyone who works for us needs to make enough money that they have a decent life. That's another, just, I'd right, have to throw that in there. That's another good reason not to be cheap. You know, anyone who goes to work should not have to rely on government programs to feed themselves and their family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. 
So, okay, so come up with this list, figure out what you don't have to do, and use that to craft your job description. Now, you're ready to start talking to prospective executive assistants. What should people be looking for? First thing I would do, um, just to kind of take a step back, I would ask your network. Uh, you may, you probably know somebody that has one. Maybe they have a virtual assistant that's looking for another client. You could, you know, I've, I've known, I've known nonprofit executives to share an assistant. Like I knew one group, there's three of them and three different nonprofits and they all shared one executive assistant. So, you know, ask your network, but then also check out those, those companies I mentioned, like Belay Solutions and Athena Executive Services, because they vet the assistance for you, they, you know, you know, you know, you're going to get somebody solid, but then once you kind of get down to where you're actually talking to some potential clients, I think you just need to treat it like a, any other interview that you would treat where you find out what they value, you find out, have them share specific examples of challenges they've come across and how they've helped their other clients or executives, you know, solve those challenges. And then, I like to say also that personality is a factor, but it's not a deciding factor. So if you want to do some assessments or try to, you know, you could do some, some people like to do a bunch of personality tests or whatever, to try to balance it out, whatever. But I found that it's actually the values that are more important than the personality. So for example, if you're an executive that just wants to, hustle 24 seven and is like always working and always bugging your team on Sunday nights and, uh, or Saturday afternoons and whatever. And the assistant values their, you know, climbing hobby or their family. And they like, they like to have a 24 hour Sabbath every weekend, you know, like those are big value differences that are, are going to be a challenge. So make your, expectations known up front that this is what the job's going to entail. This is when I'm going to most likely be pinging you. This is when I won't ping you, get it in writing. And then, yeah, you'll, uh, you'll be much better off as far as filtering out or being able to weed out the assistants who just won't work because they don't, they're not in alignment with those things. So I got to follow up. You said, get it in writing. What does that look like? Um, I just mean like, you know, you, you, instead of saying general hours, nine to five, occasional evenings and weekends, instead of saying that, say, you know, general hours, nine to five, like my executive and I, we do Monday nights and Wednesday nights are our work late nights. So then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, it's like off limits, unless there's actually a urgent emergency. Uh, and then we have a 24 hour straight, no email, no Slack, nothing on the weekends. And so that could be like Saturday at noon to Sunday at noon or Saturday at five to Sunday at five or whatever. Um, but write all that out, like write out, this is what the schedule is going to look like. And sure there are exceptions and there's going to be, it's not, it's not, you know, the Bible, but it's like, Hey, this is what we're, this is what my week looks like. And this is what I expect to be able to get a hold of you. Mm -hmm. Love that. So let's say, You've recruited an executive assistant. They've started. How do you, as in your words, you call it equip and empower. How do you equip, equip and empower that executive assistant 
to really be everything they can be for you? Yeah, I mean, when I say equip, I mean, let them let them sign up for the $30 a month tool that's going to automate a bunch of their work. Give them a professional development budget so they can sign up for training or a membership. Uh, like we have a leader assistant membership with EAs from all over the world. And guess what we do? We we go deep into different topics that really help us all be better assistants, um, but we're also there for each other and can support each other. And so that's a big, you know, EAs assistants can be isolated in their roles because they're often, especially in a small nonprofit, they're the only assistant in the organization. So they don't really have a team or they don't really have a, you know, department. <laughs> they're often self-managed. So yeah, if I can also say, I bet they're also often the keeper of secrets, which is a lonely job. Exactly. Yeah, I actually talk about that in my book. How you know people talk about it's lonely at the top, um, and they're referring to CEOs and presidents and whatever. But it's it's just as lonely as the assistant to the person at the top that's lonely. Um, and so yeah, you're a keeper of secrets. So you you need somebody that you can trust to rant with or whatever. So that's kind of the equipping. So you you know you give the, them those tools they need, uh, but then empowering is more about you know hey why don't you make the decision for me, you know why don't you draft that email why don't you draft that communication why don't you draft the uh, the donor update newsletter, you know what do you think about this what what do you think we should do that's that's how you can empower them and give them those opportunities to lead and you know, you're not always going to do what they say, but oftentimes you're going to be, you're going to be surprised at what they say. And you're going to think this is, <laughs> I should have asked them a long time ago. Right. I just got some free consulting. Right. <laughs> so how does an executive, cause you know, some executives probably have um, a need to hold things close to them. So in that empowering process, how do they learn to let go? I mean, I think, Part of it is just knowing that and reminding themselves that the world doesn't revolve around them. It's tough to, especially when you're the top dog, it's tough to remember that. But then also just remembering that all the crazy ideas you have that you want to do, you are slowing yourself down to accomplishing those by not letting an assistant help you or not not empowering them and giving up some of the reins because really you're holding back your vision if you're trying to just do it yourself and, and i would imagine if you genuinely are okay with this even sort of giving your ea permission to challenge you and say hey you know this is something you could let go of this is something you could give to me yeah and you, you can it's, it's all about good questions. So, you know, you could ask your assistant, hey, what's something that you think we should do differently? Or what's, mm -hmm. what's something? And then they should be asking you those questions as well. I talk about that in my book about how, you know, if you think about some of the best podcast episodes you've ever listened to, some of the best uh, late night talk show interviews, uh, some of the best counseling or therapy sessions you've had, what's the common denominator in all those? And it's, it's the questions. It's good questions. You can use that weapon of good good questions uh, to really empower your assistant and then vice versa. The assistant can really uh, lead the executive. 
Jeremy, that is great advice. And talk about a common denominator question. In every episode, I always ask an off-the-map question. It gives our listeners a chance to get to know the person behind the guest, behind the public persona. And I think I've got a good off-the-map question for you. In reading through your book, I have come to believe that you probably played baseball at some point. And so it's kind of the obvious question, but what position did you play? Uh, you know, it's funny. I I kind of played a little bit of everything. My favorite was outfield, uh, center field or, or left, left field. But I, it's funny because I was actually homeschooled, so I didn't, I didn't actually get the whole school ball experience. Mm-hmm. So, but I did play when I was 10 years old. I played one year of Little League, like official, you know, Little League and everything. And it was like some of the best memories I have of my childhood just just loved I loved it I played so much wiffle ball when I was younger that I when I went to play actual little league and there was kids pitching and everything it was like it was like the ball was going slow for me because I was so used to like my dad throwing a wiffle ball that curbed so much more than the baseball and it just flew by you know and it's just like man this is this baseball thing's easy so probably should have kept going but uh I got tall and thought basketball was my my thing, and then it wasn't as good as <laughs> baseball. Oh, man. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to make sure our listeners know how they can find out more about you. And Jeremy's company, Go Burrows, has a great, great website. It's leaderassistant.com. At leaderassistant.com, you can download free chapters of his book. You can follow the link to Amazon to purchase the book. And you can also find out more about the services and coaching that he's providing for executive assistants and also for executives that are seeking to hire, equip, and empower an amazing executive assistant. Hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, feel free to reach out to anybody on LinkedIn as well, but uh, I'm happy to help you find and equip and empower your assistant. Awesome. Thank you. And listeners, if you missed any of those URLs, you can go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and we will list them all in our show notes. And let me leave one idea with you. If this conversation has made you think, hmm, maybe an executive assistant would be game changer for me. Maybe maybe I have resisted it. I need to think about bringing one on board. I would encourage you before you take any more steps to actually get a copy of Jeremy's book, The Leader Assistant, and read it. It's going to give you a really good sense of how you can work with an executive assistant and probably also give you a really good sense of maybe even the type of person and the values that you're looking for from your executive assistant. In fact, there's one entire section there, kind of characteristics or values that make phenomenal executive assistants, and it's probably worth your while just to read that one piece alone. So, If you enjoyed this episode, there's one more I think you should check out. It's episode 179 with Bia Bocalandro on eight ways to feel happier at work. That, listeners, is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And you know, I always give you the disclaimer, I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. Neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not designed to provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. 
If that's what you're looking for, I suggest you find a credentialed, qualified person that you can work with. And if you're not sure who to reach out to, contact me. There might be someone in my network that I can refer.